The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about super survivors. And you know, over the years, we've talked to so many people who have been victimized in their life or they've experienced incredible traumas. But they have, many of them, have just overcome these traumas and have done incredible things in the world. So we have this wonderful book that I've been reading by these two gentlemen. I'm going to introduce you to them in just a minute. But the name of the book is Super Survivors, The Surprising Link Between Suffering and Success by David B. Feldman and Lee Daniel Kravitz. And let me tell you about them. First of all, you know, survival isn't a magic bullet right? Super survival isn't a magic bullet that makes everything well and great, but it's a way, it's a, it's a, a constant process of super survival, of facing life's seemingly impossible choices with honesty and faith in ourselves. It's the capacity all of us share, each one of us. It's the capacity of hope, and that's what these gentlemen are going to tell you about. First, let me tell you about um, Dr. David B. Feldman, PhD, who is considered to be among the top experts on hope in the field of psychology. He's an associate professor of counseling psychology at Santa Clara University in California, and he holds a PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Kansas, and he completed a postdoctoral fellowship in the VA Palo Alto Health Care System and a medical center associated with Stanford University. You can find out a lot more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com, and we link to his website at davidfeldmanphd.com. Also, his co-author and partner in crime, so to speak, is Lee Daniel Kravitz, who has a master's degree in counseling psychology, and he's a graduate of the University of Missouri School of Journalism, and he has written for print and television, and he's a resident at the San Francisco Writers Grotto, and he's a co-founder of the Lit Camp Writers Conference. Both authors reside in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you can find out more about him again at our website at conflicthealing.com and also at Lee Daniel Kravitz, and Kravitz is spelled K-R-A-V-E-T-Z dot com. So I'm so thrilled to have both of you. Thank you. Did you I didn't tell you that I also have a master's in psychology, so I feel kind of a, a kinship with you guys. So that's so wonderful. Well, it's wonderful to hear, and thank you so much for having both of us. Yeah. Yes. 
And thank you for spelling my name, actually. That's, uh, <laughs> that's great. Usually people put an I instead of an E, so oh. thank you. That's, that's oh, wonderful. <laughs> good. So let's talk about this great book. I love the stories. I love the, the theme. Everything is just wonderful. So why don't we start, David? Could you talk about what is a super survivor? Sure. I think that most people are very familiar with post-traumatic stress disorder. And PTSD is a real thing. The nightmares, the flashbacks, the depression that can occur after trauma, it's a serious issue that deserves real conversation and treatment. Uh, But I think what most people aren't familiar with is the statistic regarding how common it is. Um, Only about 20 to 30 percent in the aftermath of trauma end up with PTSD. Mm -hmm. But let's compare that to another statistic that a lot of people don't know, which is that 50 to 80 percent of people in the aftermath of trauma grow in some way. They may see the sky is bluer, the grass is greener. They may discover uh, new options for their life, new paths. Um, They may deepen their relationships or their spirituality even. Um, And there's a certain small subset of those who don't just grow They actually revolutionize their lives. They dramatically change the way they live. They may move careers. They may move across the country. They may found NGOs that help thousands of people. And we call those people super survivors. Yeah. And you and I were just talking about Senator Jackie Spear, who almost died in the Jonestown Massacre. She was, you know, shot, and she was laying there in her blood, and she became a senator. Now she's a congresswoman, and she has done incredible work, and she's just such a great example, and you give so many wonderful examples in your book. So let's talk a little bit, Lee. You suggest in Super Survivors that positive thinking may not be all that it's cracked up to be. Sure. Yeah, and you, you suggest that in some cases... Positive thinking can be dangerous. Why is that? Well, you know, it's interesting. You, you've seen, you know, conventional wisdom kind of states that if you think positively, good things are going to happen to you. Uh, we see that every, you know, um, in books like The Secret, and it goes all the way back, um, uh, even to Benjamin Franklin, uh, you know, talking about the, the power of positive thinking. But here's kind of the, the, the paradox. To assume that positive thinking will lead to positive results you must also uh, suppose that negative thinking will lead to negative results. But what if I am uh, thinking positively, but bad things continue to happen, which is pretty common? Does that mean that it's my fault that I'm not thinking positively enough? Mm. Uh, what, that, what it does is it, it, it gives more power to the, the mind than the mind actually deserves. Yeah. Unless you're a positive person and you think, well, there must be something good in this, you know? So if I'm a positive person, if something bad happens, then I'm going to say, okay, something good is going to come out of this. It's a blessing in disguise. (laughs) I'm one of those positive people that try to do that. I say, okay, well, this is a terrible situation, and it's not fun, and it's horrible, and oh my gosh, I'm grieving, and all these things. But I know if I just stay with it that there is something, something good is going to come out of this. Sure. Well, that's one of the things we talk about in the book. Yep. And, uh, you know, Dave can talk a little bit more about this too. We, we you know, we, we don't go, you know, we don't really promote positive thinking so much as, as grounded thinking or something that we call grounded hope. Yeah, and I love that about hope. Yes. Now, David, you, you know, you come up with the, you guys use this um, post-traumatic growth instead of post-traumatic stress disorder. You talk about post-traumatic growth. Let's talk about really how common is that. And, and how does that happen? So 
Um, post-traumatic growth is what I was sort of talking about a couple of minutes ago, and this yeah. is the tendency that I think most people have. It's a natural human tendency. 50 to 80% of people in the aftermath of trauma find some growth uh, in that trauma. Now, by the way, post-traumatic growth is not um, a cure-all. Um, people still suffer. Trauma is just bad, and it's painful, and people certainly suffer from it. Um, so nowhere in our book are we saying that trauma is a good thing. Right. But something about the human spirit enables people to find new opportunities uh, in that growth. And it's 50 to 80% of people do grow in some way. And Lee was talking about the commonality among people of this idea of grounded hope. Uh, And we found that of the 17 people that we interviewed in our book who dramatically bounced forward after trauma, grounded hope was a commonality. And what that simply means is, first, grounding yourself in the reality of what has happened to you. It's like what you were saying earlier. You have to accept that a trauma has occurred to you. We heard people saying things like, you know, here I am, 24 years old, and I've gone blind, and I've lost my career in the Royal Mm. Navy. Mm. Here I am, 19, and I've lost my leg in an accident. And somehow by grounding themselves in what they could not change about the trauma, they could focus on what they could change. And then they moved forward with a great sense of hopefulness, saying to themselves, you know what, I'm going to make a better life on top of this. And they began to set goals and use their personal strengths to create a better future, to essentially uh, take a trauma, take that suffering and transform it into a meaningful life. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about the suffering, you know, and how people suffer, and if and once they get grounded and they accept, then they can move on and look for other things and what they're going to do with their lives. And it just reminded me of it. I saw this saying by Buddha, and it says, all suffering comes from not accepting what is. You know, it's so simple, but yeah. it's so true. And every time something tra- tragic or terrible happens to me, I just say, okay, all suffering comes from not accepting what is. I just have to accept it and move on. So that's the kind of grounding that I think the two of you are talking about. Now, Lee, can you walk us through how you found yourselves writing about this topic? In fact, I understand you yourself experienced a trauma of your own surviving cancer when I you were know. just 29. Yeah, so it's interesting. So, you know, Dave and I both come to this this subject matter pretty honestly, but we come from it from different perspectives. You know, Dave um, is a foremost expert on, on hope and the psychology of hope. And um, for me, I was, gosh, I don't know, four or five years before Dave and I met, this book was not even a thought in my mind because, um, or even the subject matter, but, you know, I was working in New York. I was uh, uh, working in marketing. I was uh, in publishing, actually. And I was diagnosed at the age of 29 uh, with cancer. Mm. And everything else froze at that point. Everything else stopped, and I focused on, on, on getting better. But when I got out of that experience, I became intensely focused and, and really curious about the ways that people, you know, bounced back after originally it was cancer. I was really curious about it. And um, the more people I met and the more I read about it, um, I, I was more and more surprised at just how resilient people are. I mean, mm-hmm. people are remarkably resilient um, in, in shocking, shocking ways. And so Dave and I kind of came together, um, and we, and the more we looked into not just cancer, but other 
traumatic experiences from, from accidents to natural disasters to genocide to you know, man-made disasters and things like that and, and trauma. Um, you know, we time and time again saw people who had faced horrible, horrible cir- uh, circumstances and mm-hmm. yet came out and, and seemed to uh, move on with their lives and, and be happy and healthy. You know, and that's not to say, as Dave said earlier, too, you know, these people continue to suffer, um, not just PTSD, but, you know, the negative effects of trauma. Um, even people who are super survivors still to this day, many of them still still suffer. Um, they still have those uh, those moments of, of, of depression and anxiety and fear. Um, but they also were able to, to channel what happened to them and turn it into something uh, remarkable. That's what I love about this book. These stories are so inspiring. So if somebody is going through a trauma and they read this, they go, well, if, if they can do it, I can do it, you know? And it gives them ways of thinking and ways of having hope that I think are, you know, so helpful to have those steps like, okay, I'm in this terrible grieving situation or I've, you know, I can't walk anymore, I can't see anymore or whatever. And then they, they look to what they can do and uh, that's the hope. David, so you're one of the leading experts on this topic of hope. So let's let's talk about the role that that hope plays in surviving a trauma. That how does that work? Absolutely. So hope I think is one of the most powerful psychological, emotional and spiritual assets that all of us have as human beings. And for a second I want to contrast hope uh, with positive thinking, because we we take a little issue with the idea of of raw optimism and positive thinking in the book. You know, we talked to a lot of super survivors, and one of the things that they told us wasn't very helpful to them in the aftermath of trauma was positive thinking. A lot of friends would go to them and would say, "Look on the bright side, find the silver lining." And a lot of them told us that in that moment, after trauma, they didn't feel very positive. They didn't feel very optimistic. They felt very sad and upset, and it felt very alienating to have a person tell them just think positive. So I think about one guy um, that we interviewed named Alan Locke, who went blind when he was uh, 24 years old. He'd always dreamed of a career in the British Royal Navy, and uh, he went blind of macular degeneration, and he lost his career, and he just felt so upset. And he said that no matter how many people tried to encourage him to think positively, he just couldn't. What he said got him through was a realistic sense of what had happened to him. As I was Mm -hmm. talking about before, he grounded himself in his situation, and then he asked the incredibly hopeful and forward-looking question, how can I build a better life on top of this? He became the first blind person ever to row a rowboat across the Atlantic Ocean and make <laughs> Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. He did it all through this grounded, realistic sense of hopefulness. Mm, yeah. And, and so uh, you had so many great stories like that. Lee, you know, there were 17 people who lived through these horrible situations 
and go on to accomplish these amazing things. And, you know, David, when you were just talking, I remember when I went through a horrible time and things, I ended up from it, I ended up on Dateline and 48 Hours. All these things happened, and people said, well, you're so lucky this happened to you. I felt like punching them in the nose, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, like what a stupid thing to say, you know, if that was supposed to be positive. I think you have to, like, say to someone, you know, have the empathy when they're going through this hard time to say, this must be really hard for you. This must be really hard, and we're there for you, and we care about you. But, you know, but, yeah, you're right about that positive thinking because I, it made me think about all the times that I wanted to punch people in the nose for saying stupid things. But, <laughs> but you well, know, you know that, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I just, no, so one of the one of the things we talk about, um, and I think Dave could probably jump in on this a little bit better than I can, but you know we talk about the value of social support and the type of people that we we have around us when these sorts of uh, things occur. You know, we have uh, you know obviously people are always telling us you know to to remain positive, but you know we talk a lot about the kinds of social support that is actually um, uh, beneficial um, after a traumatic event, whether it's um, you know, uh, something similar to what you've been through or, or uh, you know, we, there's a, a woman that we spoke to named Amanda who uh, was uh, on a boat and she had a boating accident and she hit her head on another boat and um, when she had a traumatic brain injury and uh, went to a coma. When she got out, uh, she had to learn to, to walk and talk and think again. And, um, you know, uh, at one point she w- she learned that she was actually the, owner of a small business in Phoenix called Brandables. And uh, so as, you know, she's kind of coming into her own again, uh, her social support really diminished. She was a very popular person before. Uh, she still was, but people went on with their lives. And um, what it came down to, she was able to, to rehabilitate herself as well as her business, uh, becoming a, you know, making a multi-million dollar uh, company, specifically at a time when the economy was really failing in the Phoenix area. Um, she did that. She attributed all of this to the kind of social support that she had. Yeah, and sometimes the people that are your social support um, and before, you know, that are your friends, are really not. You find out who your true friends are, right? You find Absolutely. out who. I mean, one of the realities uh, that has been studied extensively is that in the aftermath of almost every collective disaster, like earthquakes and hurricanes. There is an initial phase that's often called the heroic phase, and you can imagine what that looks like. Like in Hurricane Katrina, people poured into New Orleans to help. Um, but then what happens is fatigue sets in, and you know, good Samaritans can only be good Samaritans for so long, and they start to withdraw. And it often leaves the victims feeling very abandoned. Right. Uh, and so the point that we make in the book is, that having those one or two people that remain there with you, like in Amanda's case, it was really her fiancé and her mother who right. remained there. And so no matter how many people peeled away from her life and withdrew their support, um, she always perceived, felt, believed that there would always be someone there for her. Why? Because her mom was there and her fiancé was there. And, and we can't overestimate how important that kind of, 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 of perception of the love and support of others is to us. Yes, yes, that, that helps you with hope because when, when you're down and you have someone that cares about you, 
then you know that then you have hope because they're encouraging you to have hope. So that helps, too. We're talking about this wonderful book that I just finished reading called Super Survivors, The Surprising Link Between Suffering and Success by Dr. David B. Feldman, Ph.D., and Lee Daniel Kravitz, and we have them both on the phone. They're just wonderful. Now, David, let me just ask you, you you talk about, in in the book, you talk about eight principles that may help people bounce forward after trauma, and I think those are really the, the... the real juice and, and jewels in this book to help people who are, might be going through this to, to have those principles. Um, so can you talk about them? What are the most important ones in your view? Sure. Um, we talk about eight. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about a, a few of them. You know, one of the questions we get asked a lot is, how can someone prepare themselves to be a super survivor? How can we prepare ourselves so that if trauma happens to us, that we have the biggest chance of bouncing forward? And I think there are three or four things that, that everyone can do, regardless of whether we've suffered a trauma. The first thing is, you know, be realistic about what has happened to you. Denial or distortion may feel good temporarily, but it makes bouncing forward harder in the long run, um, as we've been talking about during this interview. Second of all, and this is one we haven't really talked about yet, don't be afraid to give up on a goal when it's really not working. Um, You know, in our culture, we don't venerate and celebrate giving up. But sometimes, and the research shows, and certainly my clinical experience shows, that by giving up goals that really aren't possible for us anymore, it can open us to a world of possibility that, that we didn't see before. Uh, the, the story that we talked about before of Alan Locke, who went blind when he was 24 and lost his career in the Royal Navy, only, he says, by accepting and giving up on the goal of having that Navy career, knowing that it really wasn't possible, was he able to, was he able to open up his field of vision mm-hmm. to new amazing goals like breaking world records. Third, Focus on what you can change. Um, Even in the midst of suffering, remember to look around and ask yourself, what kind of life do I want to lead? You know, trauma closes off some paths to us, but it can also offer new paths. And be aware that even in the aftermath of trauma, it's okay to have goals and it's okay to think about the future. And third, and this is what we were just talking about, or fourth, and this is what we were just talking about, notice and call upon the people who are there for you. Social support is so important because it gives you that hope uh, that you mentioned. And, 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 you know, we can do it sometimes. Some people can do it without the support of others. But, boy, is it helpful to have people there for you. Exactly, exactly. You know, you guys talk about... Um forgiveness as well. And let's talk about forgiving the unforgivable, because I think that's really an important issue. Lee, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, we we ran into, I mean, forgiveness was kind of a theme throughout the book and with many of the people that that we spoke to. But the one that really just took us by surprise was, I mean, there's a story of Clementine Wilmeria, who um, she, uh, her family was, uh, or most of her family, I should say, was uh, wiped out and massacred in the Rwandan genocide. It took place 20 years ago over a period of 100 days, and mm. she was very young. She and her, her sister escaped through a, an open window in their grandmother's house as the house was burnt down. 
in the middle of the night, and they ran into the jungle. And they spent the next six years going from refugee camp to refugee camp. And, mm. and these places were terrible, I mean, just terrible places to find yourself, especially as a 12-year-old girl. Um, you know, it's full of, of, of um, uh, illness and, and famine and mm. of violence and rape. And uh, these girls were on their own. And ultimately, uh, Clementine and her sister uh, wound up uh, uh, getting a ride to Chicago. They moved to America, and they grew up um, together. And, uh, you know, you cut to a couple of years later, and Clementine is now, uh, she speaks on behalf of the U.N. She's a presidential appointee to the National Holocaust Memorial Museum in, um, in D.C. with her, uh, uh, with Ellie Wiesel. Uh, she uh, routinely goes and works with Oprah Winfrey at the Oprah Winfrey Academy for uh, Leadership Academy for Girls, and um, you know on and on. And when we asked her, you know, what was it that that allowed you to go from a refugee who is uh, you know very damaged in terms of you know her her you know, her psychological health? She's still to this day very you know there's elements of depression and and even PTSD. To, to doing something like this. And she said it was her ability to actually truly forgive. Mm, yeah. You know, they talk about forgiveness as giving up. You don't forget, but you give up the the anger that eats you alive, you know? I think a common misconception about forgiveness, and I think, by the way, you don't have that misconception. You're totally right. Mm. But I think a common misconception about forgiveness is it's a gift that we give to the perpetrators, the gift of clemency or pardon. And I think sometimes people also think it's the same as forgetting. Um, but I don't think uh, either of us think it's either of those things. And the research is very clear that forgiveness doesn't have to be either of those things. You know, what Clementine told us and other super survivors told us was that it's not a gift you give to the perpetrator. It's a gift you give to yourself. It's permission to let go of the anger, the resentment, mm-hmm. sometimes hate, uh, that is yoking you to your past. And without ever forgetting, right. it, it gives you the ability to turn your sights forward and to build a better future, which is exactly what Clementine is doing as she lectures about uh, genocide to the UN and, and works so diligently to create that better world. Exactly. You know, I've interviewed a couple Holocaust survivors that, you know, they were children during the Holocaust, and they lost their parents, and they lost everything, and they've written books, and um, they said the same thing, is they, they would never forget, but they have to forgive, and and I love that saying that being unforgiving is like taking a poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to think about it. <laughs> the other thing that I love is that forgiveness, True forgiveness is mm-hmm. giving up the hope that the past could be any different. Right. It's admitting to yourself that you can't have a time machine and go back and undo it. So what are you going to do to make the future a better place? Yeah, yeah. And I always think of, you know, when you when you forgive someone, you kind of take your own shackles off, you know, so that you mm-hmm. can move on with your life because the other people are moving on with their lives and you're stuck. You're stuck if you're unforgiving. So, you know, because I deal with that as a mediator all the time. People, you know, I want them to learn to forgive. I said, you know, you you don't want to forget because you don't want this to happen again, but you want to forgive it so you're not carrying it with you like a baggage on your back, you know? Exactly. It's a gift that you give to yourself, no question. Uh Uh-huh. So what about faith? Um, what, what, uh, What role does faith have after a trauma? Who wants to tell me that? <laughs> sure. Uh, 
Sure. <laughs> so it's a complicated question. Um, we found that what really matters is the kind of beliefs that you hold. You know, some people believe, uh, many people, of course, believe many different kinds of things about God and the universe. And so it's less important, probably, that you have a faith than what you believe. And the research is pretty clear that people who believe in a kind and forgiving and guiding God uh, tend to be better off than people who believe in a judgmental or fearful or um, vengeful God. Uh, at least that's what some of the research says. We profiled uh, an amazing gentleman uh, in the book uh, who went on named Jim Cameron, James Cameron, who was the last survivor of lynching. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a little boy in the 1920s, a black kid, and uh, he was involved in committing a crime, uh, and uh, he later served his time for it, but before he could ever be tried, a crowd broke in and tried to string him up from a tree, and for some reason he survived. No one knows why the crowd let him down, but they did. And at that moment he believed that God had saved him, and he believed that God had a purpose for his life. And, and that is what enabled him to be a super survivor and become a great civil rights leader who helped to desegregate housing across the U.S. I know, I read that one, and I just was so touched by that story. But we are out of time. You guys are terrific. I just want to say the name of your book again. It's Super Survivors, The Surprising Link Between Suffering and Success. And David... You're wonderful, and Lee, and I'm just going to have, I'm just going to give your website for you so we can go. It's davidfeldmanphd.com and Lee Daniel Kravitz, K R A V E T Z.com. You guys are wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks for having a pleasure. Okay, Thank you. bye bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. Not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.